morning to everybody around this magnificent country of ours, whatever time you are listening to our Step Outside podcast. Uh, thanks for your time, thanks for listening, and I'm joined today by a very special guest once again, of course, the one and only Justin Wilmer from Tackle Tactics, home of Z-Man and, of course, Platypus Lines, the oldest line manufacturer in the country. Good morning to you, Just. How are you, buddy? Morning, Paul. Good morning, everybody. Today, I thought a good topic to talk about would be brim, because just they're, they're such an accessible fish for people, and, and for a lot of anglers out there, it's probably the first fish that they'll target, uh, either on bait or lure, potentially. Mate, it is one of those fish that a lot of people do like to do, whether you have a boat, a, a yak, or off the bank. Um, and, and generally, as a kid, you know, I know for me being a dad, is for me to take, take my boys down to wet a line, if they just get that bent rod, and we're sitting on the bank having fish and chips, and I put a chip on a hook, you know you're going to catch a brim. It is really the backup fish of, of fish, isn't it? It's one of those species that you can do anywhere around the, uh, around the country. Yeah, it is. And and funny saying that, we've been taking our two little nephews for a fish off the local pontoon and they're five and seven years old or something like that. So they, you know, they're just getting into the fishing, uh, casting their own rods and putting their own baits on and all that sort of thing. And for them, we've, you know, we've caught 28 centimetre, 33 centimetre brim and people are coming back in in boats and they're just amazed that these kids are catching these good sized fish right at the pontoon, right at the boat ramp. But you know, whether it's big ones or whether it's little ones, kids don't care. They just like a bent rod. Mate, they do. And the lighter the rod, the much more fun they're going to have as a, as a kid because, you know, that's what it's about. They don't care if they're hooking a toadfish. You know, if they're catching yeah. something, they're, yep. they're stoked. But as a brim angler, you do care when you catch a toadfish because you, yeah. you're like, don't wreck my plastic. Don't get my bait. Stay away. We, we don't want you guys. We want the brim. Mate, there's so many different brim species. Uh, a little bit more like Mulloway uh, around the country. They get a lot of Mulloway, you know, obviously tropic for the black jewfish down south here. Mulloway are different, um, different areas. But with the brim, they too change in species, but it's the same family. Uh, from up north, you you do get your different species up there to down south as well. Yeah, and it's a, it's a species that that is virtually accessible right around the country. And you know the the southern guys have got those giant big southern black brim with the big blue lips, and and for us it's the yellowfin brim locally. And then as you go north into the pikey brim, and there's been there's been whole tournament scenes built around that brim as a fish as well. So from us as kids you know, finding a bit of old fishing line and winding it onto a Coke bottle and picking up a hook and sinker off the ground and catching a brim to, you know, guys who are now in $80,000 tournament boats, you know, a dozen rods on the deck, thousands of dollars worth of lures, and they're out there chasing that same species. Yeah, mate, and they, and they are. And that's the thing, the tournament se- uh, series really started to take off around the country. What would you say, maybe 20 years ago there, Just? Yeah, yep, probably back that far. Yeah, okay. And I remember do I do remember seeing a lot of the boats uh, back then. You had the uh, you know the Stessel little edge trackers and uh, you know the little nine point nine or the fifteen on the back, and they'd all be partying out there. And and eventually, some uh, some of the guys that bought in their American, uh, particular the the, the uh, a lot of their faster boats with the big two hundred horsepower on the back or anything, and they could get to the spots a lot quicker. And obviously, that blew the little boy out of the water. But the little guys still can go out there and catch some pretty good brim in those um, in those tournaments in those series as well. Yeah, yeah, it's it's definitely one of those things where, you you know, anyone's a chance and it's a matter of nutting it out and finding the fish. And I guess, you know, though, what those brim tournaments have done is refined the tackle and refined the tackle down to a real science because for most of us, we can go and catch a few brim on the weekend uh, in our local area. But when you've got 70 boats or so pressuring the, the one area to catch a bag of brim, 
it, it makes it a lot more technical, a lot more science-based to try and get those bites when the fish are seeing so many lures and so many boats and so much pressure. But um, yeah, for the punter, the rest of us, we can definitely get out and get a few without the without so much traffic on the water, that's for sure. Mate, it has become a science now for people wanting to get out there and target the brim because, it, it you know, obviously you get 60 boats in one tiny little area and, you know, they're all vying to catch that fish. How does it change for you? How do you see people increasing their catches in, an, in a time when fishing can be quite hard because of the pressure that's put onto them? Yeah, I think I think for those hardcore tournament guys, the gear's gotten lighter, uh, the gear's got more feel to it now. The lures are getting more realistic. Um, you know, jig heads are getting lighter. There's all sorts of they can lighten things up and they can make things look more realistic. They can present it a lot slower, and they've also got the feel in the lines and the rods and that to you know to get the bite, set the hook, and and get that fish to the boat. And I guess when it comes also down to to the general bread and butter fisherman who just wants to get out there, they too use bait. Uh, I know mullet gut used to when I grew up it was mullet gut. You had to have the onion in the mullet gut. If you had yeah, the onion yeah. in the mullet gut, that was the best bait. Chicken gut. Of course, work well, and and even the humble strip pilly, uh, you know, take a fillet off here, WA pilchard or anything like that. Of course, tweed bait, they love uh, a lot of people out there who who buy their mullet gut because you know the older fishermen uh, is what that's what they that's what they use. Sometimes they may not get into the plastic scene or the or the hard body scene, and they want to stick to their bait, and they've got their ten foot six Schneider glass rod with a six inch alvey, and and they're 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 stuck in their ways of catching that brim, and they will go out there and they will catch that. 1.2, 1.3 kilo brim in their favourite old haunt at, at night, working those those areas. But um, I guess, you know, you, you change it up. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you change it up to go sport fishing where you are using plastics or hard bodies or anything like that, and you're dropping down to one to three kilo spin outfits with a little one or a 2,000 size spin reel, is that does create a little bit more fun for the guys who've been there and done that as well, I guess. Is that is that the sort of thing that a lot of people are turning to these days, Justin? Yeah, it's it's amazing how many times I get an email or a phone call from from a guy now, and I had one like John during the week who who called up, and he's getting into soft plastics fishing, and he's seventy. Yeah. So you know, it doesn't doesn't matter how how old you are or what type of fishing you're into currently, you, you can get away with a couple of packets of jig heads and a couple of packets of soft plastics and get out there and 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 have a go at soft plastics fishing. And you know, there's not there's nothing wrong with the bait guys as well. You know, if you want if you want to catch brim on bait. It's a great place to start. It's a great place to get kids into fishing, and um, you know, for us, that's how that's how a lot of us grew up. We grew up bait fishing for brim, and and the good thing about brim was they weren't fussy. No, <clears> no, and so you could um, you know, even if you had, even if you didn't have uh, a lot of money to go and buy bait, you could make some dough baits, or you could go and pump some yabbies, or you could jig some yellowtail pike and knock the sides off those, and and use flesh baits, but. Yeah, we always use, you know, mullet flesh or, or gar flesh or yellowtail pike flesh or the good old mullet gut with the onion in or chook gut. Yeah, otherwise pinch pinch mum's chicken out of the fridge and chop it up. <laughs> Lot, lots of different things that a brimmel eat for sure. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, a lot of guys in the canal systems, you know, use bits of cheese and steak and, like I said, chicken because, uh, you know, people in the canals are, are throwing their dinner out of the, out of the, uh, you know, the backyard over into the water. And the fish are there in great numbers, and the real smart ones are, you know, throwing bits of, uh, you know, uh, I guess artificial things in the river around their pontoons to make a little reef 
to keep the fish yeah, there as well. Yeah. And, and in comes, not that you're allowed to do that, but, you know, a lot of people do. Uh, and, of course, you know, <laughs> you get your mangrove jacks there, you get your cod there, you get your own thriving ecosystem to come through until a brim angler finds where it is and comes up and takes all the fish. Mate, um, but it's definitely worthwhile. Mate, talk to me about um, places where you would target a brim. What's a, an area that, if you don't have a boat, what's an area that stands out to you visually? as a yep. good spot to wet a line. So I always think, I always think structure is king. Structure is king. That's what we get told. And brim, brim is really a structure-based species. So they love structure. And then the best structure is going to be the structure that holds the bait that they want to eat, whether it's, whether it's crabs or whether it's yabbies or whether it's prawns or whatever might be there. If you've got good structure and then it attracts bait, then you're going to have, you're going to have a lot of fish. So I always, if I go to a new spot, I'll just scout it out and have a good look around first and, and generally, man-made structure is the most obvious. So things like uh, bridges or those concrete stairs or boat ramps or jetties or rock walls that, are, that, are, that will hold bait and attract fish. So I start looking at that man-made sort of structure. Then your other thing is all the natural structure like uh, natural rubble bottom or mangrove edges. Or even if you're, if you're looking at, say, some flats and it's a sandy flat with a weed bed on it that weed bed holds prawns and crabs and things. So the edge of that weed bed will be prime for some brim or rubble patches, or even just depressions in the bottom where it might be one foot deeper than the rest of the flat. It gives the fish a break from the current somewhere where they can tuck out of the flow. So, so definitely structure is king. Mate. And obviously that would work for, for boaties and bank anglers, how it all sort of, you know, you need to find your structure. If you're in a boat, you look for pylons and, like you said, the, the rocky areas. What about burley? Is burley an important uh, thing to do for, for brim? Yeah, so the, the bait fish shows that, that have been bait fishing for a lot of years will often often create a burley. So sometimes they'll get a sand, a bit of sand or a bit of mud or whatever, and then they'll mix into that whatever the bait that they're using just in small pieces. Mm. Or they might even just use the bait that they're using chopped up into tiny bits. And And the theory is, less more often we'll, we'll keep that keep that trail going so that you keep the brim in the trail but you don't overfeed them so if you throw one big pile in every 10 minutes the fish have probably gone with the burley down the river somewhere but um yeah a little bit about a little bit of burley very often and then for those of us that are fishing artificials we apply scent to our lures and that's basically like a burley trail and, and creating that more natural bait style presentation in an artificial. So, you know, whether you're fishing a soft plastic or a hard body or whatever type of lure, mm. squirt a little bit of scent on there and it'll keep the fish attacking it and they'll attack it more aggressively. How do you add the scent? Now, you guys at Tackle Tactics have a scent. What What is that scent that you guys run and how do you apply that to a soft plastic? Do you, you know, lather it on or, like you said, just a little bit sparingly across the tail? Yeah, we, we do the Procure Supergel range, which is very, very popular amongst social fishers and tournament guys and it's because it's a really super sticky gel so it stays on for a long time and it also has all that science stuff the amino acids the bite stimulants and everything but it's also got real ground dead stuff in there which brim loves so it's 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 a good combination of laboratory and and real ground bait and um basically i'll just i'll squeeze a little squirt on each side of the head of the plastic or the, the hard body or whatever lure we're fishing. And then I just smear it down the full length of the lure right down to the tail. So I don't, I don't put a huge amount on there because it stays on very well. And I put it on probably every 30 or so casts. So I'm thinking that the tournament guys will probably apply more often, uh, but every 30 or so casts. And if I get a good fish, I'll often put a little bit more scent on as well. 
just to keep it on there and keep them going. And, and it's it's amazing because your um, your plastics have that stretching ability, which is probably what you want with brim in a sense because they're going to not feel the hook straight away. Is that that's sort of slurping it in? Is that how a lot of this works? What sort of plastics do you recommend for a brim? Yeah, so I I, I think you're, you're spot on. The um the thing with the Z-Man plastics that we do is that they're there's probably three things that make them so effective. They're they're ten times tough, so they're very durable plastic, which so they're going to stand up to fish biting and fish biting, catching a lot of fish on them. But they're also super soft and flexible, so they they feel real. So the fish keep biting on them or keep trying to eat them. So with the brim, I'll often just keep the slow wine going, and even if I'm getting taps, I just keep whining and they'll chew their way onto it. And the other thing is they're buoyant. So that in the water, they'll actually stand up off the bottom and float around and look natural. And I think that's been very effective for that. And and realistically, the number one soft plastic for brim in the country, tournament or social fishing, is a two and a half inch grubs. It's just been an absolute brim slayer for, for a lot of years. It is, it's just that perfect bite size and it's got loads of action in it. So I, I would recommend if people are starting to get into brim fishing, plastics around that two to two and a half inch is, is a great starting point mate uh, and what sort of jig head would you use on that one there justin would do you want to just let it keep its natural ability of being small and having its own action or do you want to just put a you know a, a heavier head on it and jam it to the bottom yeah it dep- really depends on time of year and where we're fishing so so i would probably break my fishing kit down into sort of canals flats uh deep water and then up the creeks so Canal fishing is very popular, and that's the other great thing about a brim, you know. For for some of us, for targeting particular species, we want to get away from people and away from civilization. Whereas, you know, the Gold Coast, you've got these towering sky rises, you've got people everywhere, and probably one of the best brim populations in the country because those that population means food for them mm-hmm. and structure. So, so the good thing about canals is canals have so much structure, so they hold so many brim a lot of the time. So... For fishing canals, we generally target the pontoons and the jetties and all the shadowy pockets where the brim might hide. And for that type of fishing, the TT Lewis hidden weight system jig head has been super, super popular for a lot of years. So it's basically a jig hook and the weight is actually on the shaft of the hook. Okay. So, So when you put your soft plastic on there, the weight is actually concealed inside your plastic. So that does a couple of things. It makes the presentation look very, very natural. And it also gives you a very slow horizontal sink, like a natural dead prawn or something sinking down. It, it doesn't go down head first. It'll just slowly sink. So, um, you know, one of the guys once told me the pontoons are like upside down reefs. So, you know, we don't want our soft plastic on the bottom. No. We want our soft plastic as close to underneath that pontoon as we can get it. So that's where all the structure is. And you'll often hear the brim... You'll hear them, we yes. call it kiss, kissing, you know, they're, yes. they're sucking down food up around the, underneath the pontoon. So sometimes you'll see them, otherwise sometimes you'll hear them. So I always say to people, look and listen for those clues that the fish are feeding. So with that hidden weight on our two and a half inch grubs or our two and a half inch slim swims, we can skip that plastic really well and skip it up under the pontoon into the shady pockets, fish the back corner of those pontoons and the shadow underneath the little walkways that go down to the pontoons. And with that light weight, say, 128 ounce or 120 ounce we can get that really slow sink and get the brim to eat it and what size hook would that be justin size two size four yeah two generally brim fishing guys will run two one one oh is is a common sort of hook size with a one a pretty good starting point okay 
size one. So you're uh, obviously if we're working your slim swims, they're more like the fish sort of a tail, whereas your grubs yep. have the worm tail. So yes, yep. So a two and a half inch grubs is a curl tail, mm-hmm. and great thing for that with beginners is there's loads of action all the time. Um, whether it's sinking or whether you're lifting it, it's got plenty of action and it'll attract the fish. And and often people uh, look at it and they go, oh gee, that's a it looks quite large, but a brim that the tail just folds away when they attack it and just they they eat the whole thing. So yeah, it's a really good bite sized snack. So for the canals, it's it's great. You know, it's just a bite sized snack that could be an insect, could be something thrown in the water, could be a dead bait fish or prawn. And um, so in those canal situations, we probably fish a a one twenty eight, the one twentieth, and then maybe a one sixteenth. And then we'd also carry some standard jig heads as well uh, with the weight forward to the head, like a headlock's finesse. Yeah. And we'd use those for fishing the rock walls and deeper under boats and that in those canal areas as well. So, so canal's we, great starting point. So, mate, we're looking at the obviously the grubs and the swim slims, uh, slim swims. I'll get that out right. Mate, Tom, tell me about the colouring because I know uh, like motor oil's a traditional colour you should have in your, in your tackle pack. What are other colours that, that people should have out there? Because one day they'll go for that darker colour, another day they'll shy away. Is there an all-rounder? What would you put in? What's your top three? Yeah, it is. It's it's interesting because a lot of the time people people will go straight to motor oil. But if you look at the brim tournaments, it's it's motor oil, but on but then there's some days where say bloodworm dominates. Mm-hmm. Motor oil reacts to UV light and gets and it really pops under a, a blue a black light torch. Yep. So you can see how reactive it is with UV. So that makes motor oil a great starting point. It is an awesome soft plastic colour. Um, but then something like bloodworm in your kit as well, and it's non-UV, the Z-Man bloodworm, and yet it's a, it's an awesome, awesome plastic as well. So, um, you know, there's a stack of colours in the range, watermelon red, gudgeon, greasy prawn, that, that all go really well. But if you were going to start out chasing a brim, I'd go with a motor oil or I'd go with a more natural colour, like a, a greasy prawn or a bloodworm. Okay. All right. Well, there's a, there's a couple of different uh, options there for all of you guys out there wanting to get into the brim to get it under underway. Mate, the retrieve on a soft plastic, um, particularly if you're going, say we're talking about our slim swims, um, are you dropping it down because you have got that sort of like that fish tail, the paddle tail on it? Are you twitching it back like a flathead or how are you retrieving it? Are you just dead sticking it? Are you burn and wind? What are you doing? What's the go? Yep. So a lot of a lot of the guys, if they fish the canals and they're fishing up under the pontoons and that sort of thing, mm. they will just skip that plastic in or cast it into a pocket and they just watch the line for what we call a tick. So if you see a little tug on the line, you want to set that hook because a, a brim has eaten it. So they're, they're watching the line for an indication it'll eat, that the, the sinking lure will stop prematurely or it'll speed up or it'll get that tick and then they often set the hook. Whereas when we move out onto the flats and we're fishing, say, those, those areas that are out of water at low tide and then flooded on the high, we might get up there and fish the last couple of hours of the run in, first hour of the run out. And there we might up our jig head weight to say one twelfth to one eighth ounce. And there we're going to roll and hop the plastic a lot more. So in the canals, you'll still hop it and roll it and twitch it once it gets down under the pontoon. But out on the flats, we'll roll it if it's over the weed. So a roll is like a slow wind. Otherwise, we'll shake it. So shake the rod tip and slowly wind the line put a pause in there every now and then otherwise if the bottom's clean enough then you can allow the plastic to hit the bottom give it a couple of hops up 
pause it, let it hit the bottom again, and just bounce it across the flats. Do you need to go for a, a, a semi-heavier rod? Okay, I, I believe with it, obviously with the lighter rods, that like one to three kilo sort of an outfit there, you're going to get a better shake onto that grub's tail to really get it moving in such a small amount of time. In, in that small amount of space, you can give a lot of action to a lure. But if you go for something a little bit heavier, say you're working around oyster racks and you want yep. to get that big that big angry brim out of there, that kilo plus fish, and he knows where the territory is, he knows where the snag is, is there a way to to pull them out? What sort of gear? Are you going to up it from like three to six kilo or do you go a bit heavier? What, what do you think? And what line class? Yeah, so generally it, it's lighter the better a lot of the time for the canal and flats type stuff, unless you do really need to extract some fish. So one to three kilo rod, sort of 20 size reel, six pound braid, and then leaders anywhere around that two to 10 pound. So, so for me, I, I can't even tie a knot in two pound. I can't even see it. <laughs> but um, that, yeah, that platypus stealth FC fluoro has been good for us. Um, the, being a fluorocarbon, it's virtually the same light refractive qualities as water. So they call it virtually invisible in water. Yeah. But the good thing about it is it's also durable, very abrasion resistant, mm. and it also sinks, which means when oh, your yeah. plastic's sinking on a lightly weighted jig head, your leader is sinking with it. So it allows you to stay in touch with it a lot better. So, so they'll fish those sort of 10 pound down to two pound for a lot of four pound, six pound, eight pound leader, depending on the clarity of water and how finicky the fish are. So then of course, you've got that trade-off when you get to oyster racks or deeper rock walls or structure where the fish might bury you or cut you off. And then like you say, a lot of the guys will step up to say a two to four kilo rod, uh, might step up from a 20 to a 30 size reel, um, eight pound, 10 pound braid, and then anywhere from sort of 10 to 15 pound liters. Because sometimes they're even fishing over the rack yeah, wow. and then get the bite and then you've got to get that fish US style. You've got to get it back over the rack. Drag so, them up. Um, yeah, locked up and get them out of there. So it's um, it's it's often with brim, it's that trade-off between getting the bite and landing the fish. But, um, you know, you, you the hardest thing is getting the bite a lot of the time. So the guys will go lighter, 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 lighter to get the bite. And that, that leads to some epic smokings and... And a few choice words, but that's part of the game, hey. <laughs> you know, if you get out in your local environment and you look for key things are definitely structure. If you find good structure, and then if there's water movement around that structure, even better. And then if there's bait, even better again. And it's amazing how many times I've I've fished with people and I'll see a prawn flick on the surface. Yep. And and I watch for their reaction and there's no reaction. Yeah. Like they they see the bait or the prawn flick, but they're not reading the signs of what's going on around them. Yeah. And, and it's amazing. So many times I've said, oh, look at that prawn flick. There'll be a brim there. Yep. You flick the lure straight in where the brim, where the prawn flicked. Yep. Boom. That fish is on. It's got one thing on its mind and it's eating that thing. So as soon as your lure lands, boom, they're on it and they nail it. You know, Normally when, a really aggressive hit. I did an anaconda store opening um, a couple of weeks ago. And I was up there and I was talking to a couple of young guys. And they were looking through only you know, 11, 12, 14 sort of year old children. And these kids were looking at the rods and they're saying, oh, we want to get into broom fishing and all that sort of stuff. So I, I set them up, took them outside and and showed them how to cast and how to get into some accuracy, also with an overhead, you know, so which is difficult to cast a small, you know, one sixteenth ounce jig head. But I showed them on some spin gear. One thing I was trying to teach them is just say, look, you know, with, uh, with lockdown of COVID or whatever it is, before you go out fishing, just put a bucket out the front of the yard and just do a hundred casts at the bucket and just try and get your lure. You don't have to get it into the bucket, 
But if you get it within a three-foot range around the bucket, you're, you're in the zone. And then I started talking to him. I'm talking to my son about this this week because we're out fishing and I'm saying, look, you know, listen to, to what nature's telling you. And he goes, I don't understand. But I said, just you hear the cars, you hear the traffic, you hear a train, you hear everything while you're here, but also hear, hear for the boof, hear for the water, understand what it's doing. Because if you can understand that and you can hear that flicker, you can hear that kiss of the fish, you can hear the boof of a trevally, you literally have probably five seconds to get your lure into that zone to catch that fish. Yep. And, and that's the thing I was talking to these kids at Anaconda. Get your lure into the zone. Get it to that bucket. Then when you go out fishing and you hear something and you, you, you bullet your lure straight in there as fast as you can, not a little lollipop lob, you bullet it in there, and you'll get that fish because he is actively feeding in that, in that zone. And the thing that lands in that zone, when he's feeding, he's going to eat it. And, and that's the only bit of guidance I could really tell these children is to say, look, try it, practice before you go, and when you go out there, you'll increase your chances of hooking up 100 times. They just got to cover water and, and watch for what's going on. That's, that's it. And, you know, that you're spot on. Like, if you hear that, it's amazing. How many times, it can be over my back shoulder if I'm in the yak. Yeah. But if I hear, I'm making a cast over my back shoulder to wherever that slurp was yep. because I know that the, there's a fair chance that that fish is going to eat that lure. Absolutely. Absolutely. And look for everyone out there, look for nature feeding, as in like, look for the birds, look for all the cormorants, yep. you know, <laughs> look for, just yep. look for birds. Like sometimes you'll see like, you know, 10, 20 cormorants in a canal and they're just all swimming along the edge and they all sort of ball up. They're chasing bait. And of course, yep. the bits that they drop, the brim are scavengers and they will come up and just smash anything that's just dropping behind them. And I guess you've hooked up many a times there too, Justin, where you, you haven't even put the bail arm over on the reel. Yes, yep, yep. A lot of the time, the other thing is if, you know, if you find if you find them actively feeding, there'll be more than one fish there as well because they're a schooling fish. So mm. if you hear that, he's probably got mates there as well. If you see the bait flicking or getting chased, yep. there's probably more than one fish there. And, I, and I've had some awesome session on, sessions on the flats where I've drifted along and I'm like, there's nothing, there's nothing, you know, it's glassy smooth. And then I can see it looks like it's raining on the water where the bait's there, and then I'll see the fish eating the bait every now and then. Uh, you get a cast in there, and boom, brim straight on. And then it's just a matter of keeping your yak or boat or whatever away from the school of fish. And then I've had sessions pulling, you know, 30-plus fish out of one school yeah. on a flat because I'm keeping away from them, but I'm using nature's signs to indicate that that's where the fish are, you know. That's cool. Mate, when you catch a brim, do you let it go in the same spot where you caught it? Or do you – because – do you think they put the other fish off if you catch them in a small area? Yeah, it's it's an interesting one. I know the I know the tournament guys um, often try and keep them in their live well and keep them in good condition uh, and pick through them a bit and then you know release any smaller ones later on uh, because they can shut the school down. I don't know if it's to the to the degree of something like you know bass tournament fishing guys where. If a school's really, really finicky and really timid, they, they'll often keep the fish in the live well and then release them further away. Um, yeah, for me, I've, I've never worried too much and, and it hasn't really shut down a session. But I guess if you're in a canal and it's a really finicky bite or something like that, yeah, you may want to keep them in the live well if you've got one and then release them a bit later. Mate, uh, they, they make for a great, a great fight on light tackle. They're not bad on the chew either For uh, if you want to take a, a brim home. Do you bleed your fish if you take them home? 
Yeah, I don't. I don't often keep a brim, um, but I, you know, I have no problem with people keeping a feet of brim or whatever. But I keep the odd one for my mum because she loves a she loves a brim. I I personally don't bleed them, but I do put them straight into like an ice slurry or something like that, which often seems to draw the blood away from the flesh and more into the gut cavity and that sort of thing and makes for a, a cleaner fish. Uh, and then I'll often just scale them, gill them, gut them, and, and they bake them whole or, or put them in alfoil and that and fry them whole. But definitely they're, they're a fish a lot. I don't know, they're probably not one of them favoured table fish. And it's probably because when we were kids, we got fed so many brim, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Well, they were the go-to fish. I mean, and they yeah. still are. You know, this is the thing. Yep. There's so many brim out there. There's so many of, of this particular species everywhere around the country that you don't you don't have to really know the exact science to it. If you just throw a line in, you know, nine times out of ten, the first bite you get is of a brim. Yes. Yep. You know? Yep. And if and if you just find, you know, straight up, if you find find some structure. And, and areas where there's bait, then you're a good chance of catching a brim. And you can, you really can feed them almost, you know, any sort of bait, and they'll have a go at it for for just kicking off. Especially if there's if there's not a lot of pressured fishing area around you, you know, you just find find a jetty, find an old boat ramp, find a set of concrete stairs. It doesn't really matter, and and just fish light for starters. So a lot of guys, if there's less run, they'll start with right down double zero ball or zero ball sinker. And then as the flow gets faster, they'll go up to a, a two or a one or a, even up to a four ball, depending on, on current flow. And then it's, it's just a matter of, yeah, getting that bait out. Let, let it sit there. They're, like you say, they like those, those nice, longer, soft rods. And sometimes the trick with them is not to just rip as soon as you get a bite. You want to let them bite, 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 and they'll get more serious. And then the rod tip will start to bend down. And when the rod tip bends down, you just lift it up, set the hook, and yeah, fish on. And away you go. Yeah, they certainly are a, a great species to catch. And for the for the old bait anglers out there, a tip from me is boiled wheat. If you if you want to use some bait and you're in an area where the current and like Justin was just saying, is that minimise the amount of lead you use when the current slows. And sometimes you might try and change your sinker up to you know five times during a single tide change. Uh, to to obviously you know get your bait down there. So when the current's ripping a little bit heavier, as it drops off, just go lighter, 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 all the way through till P sinker, which is your you know zero or double zero. But ball up some wheat and just throw out sparingly a little bit here and there and keep it going. Like when you're mackerel fishing, you put out one cube of pilchard and just drop it in. When that disappears out of sight, you drop another one, and then drop an, and then the next one you put in, you put a hook in it. And you'll, yeah. you'll, ca- you'll catch a fish. So it's pretty simple. Hey, Justin, thanks very much for your time this morning, mate. It's been an absolute pleasure. And uh, I'm sure a lot of people out there have um, you know, listened intently and, and learned what we talk about. Because, you know, up there where you are, obviously, at Z-Man and Tackle Tactics and, and uh, of course, Platypus Lines, etc., is, mate, you, you get asked a million questions, come to you every week, and you answer the questions correctly. And people out there have uh, have gained a wealth of knowledge from yourself. And, and, mate, it's always good to have you on board our Step Outside podcast. Thanks for your time, buddy. No worries. All the best, everyone. Catch up. Good on you, mate. There you have it, everyone. Another episode of Step Outside with Paul Burt podcast. And, of course, our show resumes back on the 7 Network, 7, mate, on March 21. So I'm looking forward to bringing you some fantastic episodes. And, of course, Justin will be appearing on that and doing some favourite fishing, whether it's out of a yak, out of the bay, or in a boat, or off the bank, whatever it might be. It's all coming up this year, Season 3 of Step Outside with Paul Burt. Thanks for your time, everyone. Take it easy. Have a good one.